Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, hello you bunch of miserable bastards and welcome back to Rule the World Cup Roost. That That is a name, it's a kind of a working title that was just made up on the spot last time and I'm, I'm going with it again, Raju Baines. Hello, Raju Baines. Hello. How you doing, mate? Not too bad, yourself? Yeah, I'm great. Um, you're still masturbating over this football pornography that we've been served up on a daily basis? Yeah, it's, um, it's slowly petering out and you know we've got two days now without a game so it's it's almost like going cold turkey but uh i'm looking forward to to the further we get in the more tense games we have because this has been a another great round completely different to the group stages but it's been it's been fantastic again it's it's horrible isn't it like the, the, when you get to this point with the world cup because it's so exciting and it's so brilliant but it, it's also that that kind of, you know, like the closer and closer you get to Christmas Day, you get really excited, but then you think, oh, but then it's all, it's all going to be over. Like, and that's kind of how I'm feeling about the World Cup at the moment. It's, you know, I'm starting to see more and more Spurs talk creep into kind of the football fan psyche, and I see all the same old arguments popping up. Oh, uh, should we keep Dawson because he's a hero? No, we shouldn't. He, you know, we don't employ cheerleaders and. I just think, oh Christ, back to that shite again. Like I can't be bothered for all the arguing and the speculation and the you know, the made up formations of players that we haven't even signed yet and <laughs> speculating about fucking training kits for Christ's sake. I've seen people arguing and talking about the new fucking training kits. Like I just can't be bothered for it. I just want this World Cup to last forever. I love it. It's just it's amazing. Um, it's almost like having an affair, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've, never had, I've never, I've never had an affair, but this is why I, I kind of, if I were ever persuaded to, I think this is probably why people might do it, just because there's nothing to worry about like there is at home, and and all you get is pure, unadulterated pressure. Um, I imagine, but um, I don't know. Uh, I wrote a, a Tottenham piece recently about who I think Scam. we should be keeping in and out. Um, just because I put together some a month or so ago. I think we spoke about it when we were talking about Tottenham on the podcast and it was just just a loose, colour-coded sort of graph thing. And some of just I were using to, to try and work out myself how good and how uh, how prepared we were for the season ahead. And essentially, there's, there's no, no revelations there. Um, I think some people have, have you know, 
taken umbrage against some of the some of the decisions I've made in terms of who's going and who's staying. But um, if you want to get involved with any of that sort of business, just go onto the website and read it yourself because this is this is about the World Cup, as you see. I think the, the one of the big points that I knew would uh, elicit quite a reaction was. Soldado being marked as a must keep and Adebayo being marked as a must sell, which uh, I kind of I I actually do agree with, but I also I I thought there might be a little devil on your shoulder as you were as you were doing that one, Raj. I think you kind of knew what sort of reaction it would get, didn't you? Yeah, but I, I wasn't doing it for any sort of Daily Mail clickbaiting reason. It's genuinely what I believe. Um, when it boils down to it, that uh, the explanations I offer within the piece. Which is fucking four thousand words long. <laughs> it went from being just a throwaway tweet to a four thousand word article, so took up quite a bit of my time yesterday typing that up. But um, the off, as I say, the explanations I offer for, for the reasons why I picked the place to stay, and the reasons I picked the place to go, I think um, I think are fairly justified. I mean, everyone is, every, any, anyone's entitled to their opinion at the end of the day, but I've tried to think. It's not only an, as an individual, but I've tried to take into account the fact that we've got a new manager at the club, what he's going to be wanting to try and do with them, taking into account what these players have done in you know in their career as a whole. And I've just tried to treat it like that, tried to be as, as oh, fair as possible. We're talking about fucking Spurs now. We're doing exactly what I said I didn't want us to be doing. <laughs> and we just got sucked in. That's what you do to us. That's what you do, you lovely, bastard, horrible, tell you what, the, wonderful the sec- club. The second that World Cup final's over, though, and we've got, you know, only a few weeks left until Tottenham start playing pre-season games and we've got a couple of new faces in the door and, you know, the countdown to the first game at Premier League's only a few weeks away. We'll be right back in there. We'll be we'll be as happy as Larry as we ever were to be talking about the club and we'll sweat back up in it again. So it's it's our own fault, really, for being naive enough to support the heartbreaking club that we do. I'm not naive. I'm I'm a visionary. Um, yeah. Anyway, Brazil versus Chile. That that was the first game of the uh, of the last sixteen. Um, the host nation threw on penalties, but uh, for me, for my money, they they weren't the better of the two sides. I don't think. Um, it's quite sad to see Chile go. What what did you make of the the match itself, mate? I, I completely agree. I think um, Chile were fantastic. Um, I think Brazil probably played slightly better than they have done in the other games in the World Cup in terms of they were they were better containing and they, they played some better football going forwards. Although there's, I don't think they were as good as they may have been in the last game of the groups, um, which is odd. I think uh, Fernandinho came in for Polinho. And he he wasn't as good as he was when he came off the bench, which was unfortunate because he seemed like a player who would genuinely improve them. Um, Neymar was marginalised for large parts, and you know Fred is is, is not very good. Um, he's impossibly bad, isn't he? At times, yeah, he's like they they almost want him to play like Peter Crouch, but he's not as tall as Peter Crouch, and. He's not even as good as Peter Crouch, right? He genuinely isn't. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go along with that. Yeah, but he's, you know, people were thinking in Brazil whether or not Pato was going to play or not, and he never got selected, and Joe just isn't 
of that, you know, that that World Cup level we're expecting from Brazilian centre forward. Joe's a fucking water boy, mate. Like he's, <laughs> he's just he's just there to make up the numbers. He's a terrible player. Um, but as you say, Chile were Chile were fantastic. Um, they, their play, as always, is just relentless. I mean, they're often called a um, a team that I like to play on the break, but I don't think that's true. I think that they just they play at such a high intensity for every minute possible that it's not playing on the break. That's just how they play. Um, but as you say, it was unfortunate to see them go home. They were they were. Uh, they're one of the highlights of the tournament while they were in it. Hulk had a great game, I thought, for Brazil. Um, despite his, again, lack of any end product, he was he was kind of powerful, um, and he really caused problems for Chile. I think he, him coming into form is is probably a good sign for Brazil if he does manage to recapture anything of what he used to be like at Porto under AVB, because um, he he's kind of been in the wilderness for a few years, both internationally and at a club level, hasn't he? Really. Yeah, he was um his form at the Zenit wasn't great until AVB went there and he seems to know what to be able to do with him and how to get the best out of him, which um which often happens when you when you see managers and, and players together. They often do try and reconnect at different clubs because they know each other and they know what one another wants from, from them. So I don't think that's as surprising as perhaps it's been made out to be. Um he wasn't great in the game but I think that just shows how bad he was in the other games that this was his standout performance He, on a couple of occasions he did what he's there to do and essentially beat the last man and, and make his way into the box just because he's, he's built like a tank and his shooting is always I've never seen Hulk place a shot in my life yeah. I don't think he's, he's he's ever got. There's no finesse about him. I, I think if you had to play with him on FIFA and try and press R1 to curl one with him, it just wouldn't work. He's just one of those players that sees where the goal is and just tries to put his foot behind it as hard as possible. Um, it used so. to be something that Rooney was criticised a lot for in his in his earlier years, and they I think they kind of have attempted to coach out of him, um, and well, which just seems to result in him actually having any sort of <laughs> of his old promise coached out of him entirely, but let's not talk about England anyway. Um, one thing I must say about Chile as well, I think it was Pinela, Pen- um, towards the end, that hitting the crossbar, just yeah. so close, so close to getting that winner. It was hearts in mouth stuff. As Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Um, all of it was... Woods amazing. Even the extra time and the and the penalties were still as engrossing as the match was. Um, I mean, the first forty five minutes was one of the most open and attacking games I think I've ever seen in the World Cup. It was amazing. Um, the goal that Alexis Ch- Alexis Sanchez took was was one of those things that we, we he, he couldn't have hit it any other way, and he couldn't have hit it any better in terms of having to roll it past the goalkeeper into the opposite side. That's It's not as easy as he made it look, being able to just pass the ball across a goalkeeper, especially one that was playing as well that um, playing as well as Cesar was. But he just made it look effortless, and that was, that was a fantastic finish. Um, the, the Brazilian one was slightly more fortunate in that it, it seemed to bounce off about three players' arses on, on its way into the goal. Um, but in terms of losing Chile and Brazil going through, I think, We've not really lost anything from the tournament in terms of Brazil being in there means that their fans in all the stadiums are still going to be quite jolly. 
the atmosphere is still going to be ramped up and having the home nation in it, although it's, it's quite cynical to say, it does, does kind of give the, the competition a bit of an edge that it may perhaps lose should the, should the host nation go out on an early stage. I mean, if you remember South Africa when they went out, it just became sort of a, a more stale affair afterwards because 90% of people in the crowd didn't really care about the games. They were just there to, to watch the spectacle. So Blow Vuvuzelas. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I did want to talk about with Sanchez, um, I, I mean, I know we often see this in international tournaments. We saw it with Giovanni dos Santos in Mexico, who we'll talk about next. But you do have some players that seem to up their game when they play for you know their country. Um, and Sanchez, he, he's he's obviously a fantastic club player, being that he is on Barcelona's books, but still seems to be that kind of awkward bit party player for them. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I know you watch a lot more of the league than I do. Um, it's, it's, it, can the lad be, can he feel pretty aggrieved that he doesn't have more of a say in that Barcelona side? Because he's looked absolutely phenomenal in this tournament. I think he can to an extent. Um, he's probably had his best season this year for Barcelona than he's ever had previously. Uh, both goal scorer and assist and the effect he's had on the side. Um but the, the reason why players such as Sanchez get marginalised at Barcelona, and the same can be even said as Cesar Abregas, is that they have such a they have such an ideal surrounding their youth system at La Masia that the players that come from inside their setup and, a, and a, they, they see as Barcelona through and through from being a child all the way up, and they've learnt their trade there. Even the players that finished their youth career there, went elsewhere and came back, such as like Jordi Alba. They're, they're the players that they they almost have more time for and they're given they're given more of a you know, more leeway with it. Yeah. The same can be seen at Tottenham when, you know, when players like Jake Livermore and and Harry Kane are afforded a small bit more time because we feel a bit slightly a bit more connected to them. We want them to to succeed more because we see them as as Tottenham players, players we've created. But because these have have come from the outside in with with um, Alexis Sanchez coming from Serie A, it's they kind of see him as, as somebody who they expect to hit the ground running straight away because he's somebody who's coming to do a job rather than somebody who's been made a Barcelona player and and has come there that way. So it's it's kind of a fifty fifty thing. He's not been he's not been as good in previous seasons he has been this year um, but he's not really been allowed to either so I think it's, it's it could go either way for him if he, if he wants to stay there and, and fight for a place and try and hold it down then that's that's his his uh, his choice well, there's, otherwise there's talk of him being included in a potential Suarez deal with Liverpool isn't there I think that would be fantastic for Liverpool uh, genuinely will I think they'll come out of that deal better um, than they will do having kept Suarez in all honesty uh, for, for several reasons that you know don't really need explaining too heavily because it, it kind of sort of self-explanatory um, getting rid of a, a player with the baggage of Suarez as good as he is it, it doesn't really make a difference to me uh, personally um, but being able to get rid of him and bring in a player who might not be as good but has the potential to be and is probably as effective in a similar position will will probably make them a better team unit is um is a fantastic move for them and they'll they'll probably be better going into the Premier League and the Champions League with, with a player such as him rather than 
the um, the Suarez, you know, cloud hanging over them for another season. Which provides us a nice segue into the next fixture, Colombia versus Uruguay, um, which could be heralded as the James Rodriguez show. Um, what what a sensational tournament that lad is having at the moment. He, he really, really has, I, I don't know, for me, alongside probably Leo Messi, being, being the best player out there in Brazil, wouldn't you say? Yeah, um, people have been quite snidey about how um, how swept up people have been with his performances, purely because he, he went for a large amount of money last summer and he's a player that, you know, people who are interested in football and, and leagues outside England have known his name and have known what he's done for, for a large amount of time now through the years he spent at Porto and, and last year at Monaco. We've, you know, we, we've watched him progress as a player. However... Being able to do the same and translate it into your national side and be able to do it on the world stage at the World Cup is a completely different thing. And the World Cup, although some people have, have you know, written it off pre-tournament, that is, written it off and said that it, it doesn't hold the same magic and mystique that it once did when you didn't know the players from abroad and it was it was a much bigger show and a much bigger you know exposition of, of everyone and different countries and different styles and different football. It still, for me, has the ability to to give a player the stage to make his name on. I mean, it's that cliche that you never judge a player on the World Cup and you never try and buy him on the back of a World Cup, but Rodriguez has, has been fantastic. Um, I mean, the, the goal he scored, both of them, were, were fantastic for completely different reasons. And he's been the talisman for his side um, after Falcao got injured, so... You can't really say say much against him. I mean, the age he is and the performances put in are, are amazing. And if he now, I've already seen him in the press um, being asked whether he prefers Real Madrid to Barcelona, and he's he's quite happily making the uh, the kissy face at Real Madrid as much <laughs> as he can. So he's um, you know he's fair play to him. He's he's been amazing, and I hope he continues to be. It's not much to to really say about Uruguay. I mean, Edson Cavani's arguably had one of the most disappointing tournaments of of the so-called big players out there. Um, but they they never really kind of kicked on in this match at all. It just seemed to be that Colombia dominated the play, really. Um, and Uruguay never never really kind of got going at all. They got, um, I think they got sidetracked by the Suarez affair and felt victimised to a degree that was absurd. And they the, the kind of allowed their preparation to be hampered by that. Um, sounds, like a, combined, sounds like another club associated to, to Suarez, that, doesn't it? As, well. as far as um, as far as um, Cavani is concerned, I think he's a player who's fairly... He's fairly dependent on the system upon which he's playing. And this, the system they've played with him when Suarez isn't there hasn't got the best out of him because he's, he's not been... He's not got the ball to feet as much as he perhaps would. He's not been played in behind. He's not, you know, because he's a big bloke, people think he, he might be a target man or something like that. And he, he, that's just not his game whatsoever. He likes to drop off deeper. He likes to, to pick up the ball and play it inside out and play his way into the area. And he's just not been given the opportunity to do that. I mean, the, probably his best moment was that assist for Suarez in, in the England game where, where you saw him kind of pick up some nice space, drift in and out and, and play that perfect pass, which is which is more of his game and more of what he's been doing at PSG where he's kind of been 
playing second fiddle to, to Zlatan, which you, you would expect. I don't think anybody's going to be upstaging him anytime soon. But, um, the, the tactics going into the, to the Columbia game were, were odd in terms of, they just seemed to want to, to contain them and wanted to be as negative as possible to, to stop them performing. And then it was almost as if they, they came to play for penalties because they thought that might be their best chance of going through. Um, which was disappointing to see. They, they did get into the game better later on when they had no other option but to attack. But um, previous to that, it was Columbia just take the, took, took the game in their stride and, and picked them up well at very good times in the game. The, I think the first amazing James Rodriguez goal came shortly before half-time. Goal of the it's, tournament, surely. I'm not sure, to be honest, with the, the Cahill volley. I think they're... Two very similar skill sets, but the the manner in which Cahill hit it on his wrong foot, had to judge it first time over the top of his shoulder while he was moving and was, was moving away from the goal as he hit it as well. And the distance the ball travelled from, from pass to foot compared to Rodriguez being able to... I mean, it's a hard skill, though, like, don't get me yeah, wrong, but yeah, the way but... in which he was able to turn and cushion the ball onto his foot was much more... Uh, he he almost managed to set himself up. You know, if you if you ever played heads and volleys red ass, where <laughs> where there's the rule you're not allowed to set yourself up. Yeah. I think it's I think it's similar to that in that Cahill didn't set himself up. He he just took the volley first time and hit it as best as he could. I mean, he hit it straight at the goalkeeper, but it was hit so well that the goalkeeper couldn't get anywhere close to it. And if he had, he would have probably broken his wrist. But the the um the James Rodriguez goal was was amazing. I mean the, the skill set is completely completely different in terms of the way he set himself up and chested it and turned and the look over his shoulder beforehand just made it a tiny bit better because he he showed that level of awareness and the fact that it it wasn't a gamble. It was it was something that he'd he'd planned in the seconds before the ball has reached his his chest and it's the sort of goal that only comes out of playing at the height of confidence and um it was amazing to see. I mean, the flight of the ball. The, the goalkeeper even got a hand to it, but he couldn't keep it out. It was it was amazing. I mean, so aesthetically pleasing as well to see it lick the yeah. underside of the bar as it went in. So it's um, it's uh, it's a fantastic goal. But I think for me, um, I might just edge towards Cahill's for now, just because it was something completely out of the blue, and and it was it was it was just fantastic to be honest. You are, when you when you set your sights to the to the quarter final, um, given the, the kind of the way they're playing and the momentum that's behind them at the moment, it wouldn't be a huge shock. I mean, it would be a shock, but it wouldn't be a huge shock for Colombia to turn Brazil over, really, would it? No, I think um, the attitude to going into into this game is much the same as it was for Brazil versus Chile, um, and I think the result, to be honest, is probably going to be much the same as well. I think Brazil are are probably going to be the the, the second best team on the day but I think somehow they're going to be able to to muscle their way through again and I think that's, that's probably how they're going to be able to to do it for as long as they can just by being subpar but just through sheer determination and and willpower from the fans they're going to be able to somehow keep going because there is with with the South American team sometimes going against Brazil there is a predetermined sort of inferiority complex Mm. Where teams just don't play as well against uh, against Brazil as they may have done in the past. I mean, there's that crazy stat that Chile have been knocked out in their past three knockout stages, past three or four maybe. Every time they've been knocked out by Brazil now, and if if that's not going to give you some sort of 
disheartened every time you're drawn against them. You think we, we can't beat these every time they find someone else to beat us with. Um, it's like, isn't it? Isn't that, that that crazy stat in the past ten years? Spurs have now finished above every single team that's been in the Premier League, aside for Arsenal. Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing it up. Um, bit, do you know what I mean? If we're talking about, yeah, like a, it's, know, it's a psychological a barrier. Back. Yeah, it's a psychological barrier. It's one of those things. I mean, if we're talking about Spurs, we've we've got more than we can count. I mean, we've got the the record at Stamford Bridge that we we've not been able to overturn and. And daft things like that that we we just can't seem to to overcome, and it, and it does. I mean, even though these players are different to the ones that will have played in previous tournaments, and the turnover of staff and everything, the fact that the fans remember, and the fact that the statistics will be rolled out before every game, and everyone will be more than aware of what is going on every time those two teams play each other. It's it's, um, it's something that I I believe makes a difference. I think. Sports psychology has advanced to a level now where where we know it makes a difference. So I would I would think that Colombia Colombia would have to be exceptional, and they'd have to it'd be a, a case of mind over matter for them to beat Brazil. Uh, I think they're more than capable of doing it. And part of me, just as I did with the Chile game, hopes that they can. Um, but either way, I think that's that's a win win that game. Uh, either way, I think it's going to be fantastic, and I think either one of those teams is going to give us something to look forward to in the semis. Definitely. Right, let's move across to the to the next set of uh, second round games. Um, first yeah, turn, which, my, yeah. turn my page on my notes. Oh, oh your, little, your little trusty notebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first game of which was the Netherlands, or Holland as a pleb would call them, uh, against Mexico. Um, what a turnaround for the Dutch. Dying, dying embers of the match. Um, looked like they were going out, really. And then, yeah. The rest Louis of the van Hart used the, um, used the water breaks as like a basketball timeout. Every time he, he managed to get them over for a huddle, he, he tweaked the tactics and ch- told them to change it up a bit. Um, and every time they went back out, they, they, they adapted and they were better off for it. So, I mean... He's just used uh, used what he's given there to to the best of his abilities. Had they not stopped for that drinks break halfway through the uh, second half, they may well not have turned it around. To be honest, I mean, um, what, what just on on this drinks break um, malarkey? What did you make of this? Because I've seen quite a few people say, "Oh, you know, the Mexican team can feel quite can feel a bit of umbrage that you know that essentially." these allowances were made to accommodate, you know, European players who aren't used to playing in this climate, blah, 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 blah. I think that's that's actually kind of like, not racist, it's like, it's, but it's a tenuously kind of ignorant point to make, like that, that just because these lads are Mexican that they're not going to get thirsty and, you know, want a drinks break in this sweltering atmosphere because it was it was brought into play because of, the exceptional circumstances under which the game was played in that it was hideous. The heat was oppressive and it was, you know, it was almost unplayable. Um, but, do, do, you know, do you, to go along this chain of thought at all, do you think in any way, shape or form, this did favour the Netherlands more than it did Mexico? I don't think geography has anything to do whatsoever with the fact that there was drunk spirits involved. So I don't think it has anything to do with thirst. I mean, you don't have, uh, you didn't see any players pouring themselves an old fashioned on the the touchline. It wasn't to do with, it wasn't to do with just you know five minutes. Lads, you can have this to yourselves. You know, you know, 
it, it was nothing to do with that. It was it was purely health and health and safety, and it was purely there to make sure that they weren't going to become dehydrated and they weren't going to keel over, um, which can happen to anybody, no matter what part of the world you're from. Everybody needs to to be hydrated. It doesn't because they're from Mexico and because they're from the Netherlands doesn't mean they're genetic makeup is any different um they, they just need to stay as healthy as possible and the fact they've been included and the fact that some managers have taken more advantage over it than others is it's fair game because it's, it's not like it's not as if the mexicans were told to stay on the pitch while the netherlands went off for a tactics talk exactly. and a quick drink if the mexican manager was was as tactically astute as Louis van Gaal, he would have taken exactly the same opportunity to tell his team what to be able to do in the last 10-15 minutes after that drinks break then then his opposition did so uh, there's no sort of advantage to either side they both afforded exactly the same opportunity it's one of the the few things that FIFA have actually gotten right so I mean we, we take every stick we can to beat them with but he's, in terms of being keeping everyone safe that's the, that's the best thing possible because the, the last thing anybody wants to see is is anybody coming any sort of health injury to anybody just through sunstroke or dehydration. I mean, the last thing we want to see is anyone keeling over in the in the style of Fabrice Wamber or Danny Hache. We just don't, that's not something we we want to be able to see at our showpiece event. So they've got it completely right. Um, but the fact of the matter is, drinks break or no drinks break, I think Van Hal was probably, probably out managing his, his counterpart either way because... There were there were things the Netherlands were doing and they were growing back into the game just as it just as they scored again, and he he changed it up. He, he made them into a four three three, pushed Dirk out to right back because there was so much room out there. It was it was you know it was, he took what he could and he he kind of gambled and it worked. I mean the first goal came from Schneider, which was preposterous given how badly he's performed in this tournament. And there's you know there's a running been, theme. He's been of, awful, hasn't he? There's been a running theme of poor players scoring huge goals in this round, and you know he he did well to to finish that. I mean, it was just one of those. It was similar to to Messi against Nigeria, where he just sort of just kicked it away with with you know all the all the arrogance you'd expect from a man of uh, that's got his own number tied on his arm. And um, he did well. I mean, the the Santos goal opened the scoring was fantastic, and he's more than deserved it after having. Two goals taken away from him in the first game. So, please for everyone involved. Again, that was one of those games where it was win-win. No matter who went through, we'd we'd have the um, we'd have the pleasure of seeing them again. But uh, I think that's one of the hardest tests Netherlands going to have uh, in terms of mentality and, and keeping strong. And they're often stereotypically looked at as a team that will take any opportunity they can to implode and self-destruct and and sure, no fight, and the fact that they've done the opposite of that throughout the tournament um, stands them in good stead, in all, in all honesty. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> not to make any kind of crap jokes about his actual looks or anything, um, but Dirk Kout, despite not kind of putting in the prettiest performances, is uh, is still a ruthlessly effective player, and he seems to be a real driving force behind a lot of the the Netherlands' success at the moment. If there's one man that doesn't need a drinks break, it's probably Dirk Count. I think he 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 could have played six games back to back in that heat. <laughs> he's a horse. <laughs> he is a horse, isn't he? Like, he's he's unbelievably fit. 
Um, and again, that's not a comment on his on his looks at all. He's um, he, he just is he's an absolute specimen. He doesn't stop running, and you can see why. Even though he's not the most gifted player in the world, he's not technically fantastic. You can see why he's in the squad because every player needs a player like that. Um, I mean, he's probably. You know the vision most people have of James Milner because they don't really see him play properly where they think he's just a, somebody who'll put in a good shift every time. Yeah. Dirk Kout puts James Milner to shame in that aspect. He's just he's he's ludicrous in the amount of work he goes through. It's arguably uh, the type of player that England are missing. I think England are probably missing more technical yeah, players yeah, than yeah, our, but our like... workhorse, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'd rather have a... I'd rather have a half-fit Wesley Snyder than I would a, a fully-fit Dirk Cow playing for England because I think he he just technically better than anything we've we've probably got an offer at the moment. But um, what did you make of the the Robin incident that that essentially won him the game? It was a foul. It was he's 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 overdone it as he as he likes to, but it was a foul. It was definite penalty. He's made contact like the defenders blocked his way with his foot. You know, like. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't play the ball. I th- for me, it was it was a, it was a definite penalty. People just don't seem to want to admit that. I think I, I completely agree. I think that Robin's uh, reputation precedes him uh, greatly, and I don't think that's what occurs with referees. I don't think there's a referee out there who, especially at the World Cup, who might not know him as well as anyone else. Who in that moment goes, "Oh, that's Robin. I'm not going to give a penalty here. He'll have dived." What happened was that Rafa Marquez was knackered after running around that heat for 90 minutes he planted his foot in the vicinity of Iron Robin in the box where he shouldn't have done actually trod on his toes which is contact and I don't think enough people have have felt a man stand on their toes as they're running to fully know what it's like with studs as well I've played played rugby long enough to know that any sort of contact on your feet when you're running at any sort of pace is going to knock you off balance I mean he swan dived Robin, but you expect him to. As soon as he felt anything, he was going to be going over like Tom Daly. And that's not any sort of distasteful joke. He was, <laughs> he was, he, he was going to. You know, he he looks ridiculous when he was in the air, but it was more Rafa Marquez's fault because he was tired. He planted his foot and actually planted it on on the other man's foot. Um, fair enough if there's minimal contact and he only just brushed his toes but you only need minimal contact to knock somebody over as I just said and his leg has came across him and Robin was going over before their legs made any sort of contact but it was it was an impediment and he, he needed to you know he needs to be more clever there and just try to sort of jockey him and keep away from Robin as much as he could because you need to be more clever in them sort of situations, especially Rafa Marquez, who's, who's played more football than anybody else probably at that tournament. Yeah, has he's a, season, a good level. Se- season player. He knows what he's doing. And he's been fantastic in that tournament up until that moment as well. So it was, it was a shame for him. And um, I'm sure he regrets doing it. I'm sure he's not he's not complaining too heavily about Robin diving because he'll have known that he could have, uh, he could have managed that situation much better. But um, mm. I'm glad we agree. Yeah, that's... Uh... The, the the short-lived managerial career of Nick Griffin at the World Cup over and done with as, as Mexico <laughs> depart. I, uh, I made that um, I made that comparison to uh, Sam Tai when, I saw when he, 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 he rather awkwardly kind of giggled but didn't respond properly, did he? Like, he does look like Nick Griffin, though, doesn't he? It, mate, he looks ridiculously like Nick Griffin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think it must. Like, 
I think it actually is Nick Griffin. (laughs) Nick Griffin's secretly Mexican inside. He just can't control (laughs) it. It would be fantastic if Nick Griffin went home and put on a sombrero and... Eats burritos whilst punching himself in the face. I hate me. (laughs) I think we're probably being, like, racist against Mexicans now, which isn't the best. yeah. As long as Nick Griffin's the butt of the joke, then... um, We're having a bit of a Top Gear moment, aren't we? <laughs> they did have a thing against Mexicans, didn't they? Where, God who was it that wasn't allowed into the country? Um, I think it was all three of them, wasn't it? Because they, <laughs> they they said something like, you know, if, if German cars are like German people, they're efficient and smart and powerful. Then a Mexican car, you stand to think, is like a Mexican, you know, lazy and efficient and blah 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 blah, something like that. And you think. You know that Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think I, I don't know if you, just to digress slightly. Um, Steve Coogan made the very good point of it's very easy for a British person to be racist against a Mexican because there's not many here and it's a country miles away and blah, 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 <laughs> there's blah. not many here. Yeah, exactly. But it's like you know, if you replace Mexican with Pakistani, then it suddenly is you realise why you can't kind of make these comments about people. It's just you know. What would a Pakistani car be like, or is that that treading a, a, a line that we, we shouldn't cross? So the next game, Costa Rica against <laughs> Costa Rica against Greece, probably one of, one of the uh, in in what has been a spectacular World Cup, probably the worst game. I don't know. I, I'm loath to say it's been the worst game. It went to penalties, so that was quite exciting. Um, but th- there weren't many talking points in this one, really, were there? There was a red card that was um, that was well deserved. Uh, yeah, uh, one all in, in normal time, which was probably right. I mean, Greece managed to grind out a goal somehow. I mean, they are ridiculous going forward. They are like the least penetrative attacking side I think I've ever seen in my life. They're, they're ridiculous. Um, what what does George Samaras actually do? What yeah. what what does he, what what is his fun? Because I I know he's kind of. Their best player, supposedly, although I don't think he is. But he's he's at least their most high profile player. But he just seems to do nothing. He's um is he, he he tends to now play off the left. He, um, when he was at City he was a striker. But I think since going to Celtic he now plays off the left and sort of drifts inside in an almost Christian Eriksen under Tim Sherwood sort of manner. Um which gives him more of an effect on the game when he wants. Because uh, he's got some pace about him, I think he's, because he's such a tall man, he's, he seems to look quite lethargic whenever he's doing any sort of movement. I mean, he almost reminds me of of Berbatov in in his body manner, although mm. with half of the ability. Um, I think he has his moments. I don't think he's anywhere as as good as some people try and make him out to be. I think he's effective on his day, and I think he has flashes where he's um, where he's somewhat. Somewhat effective, but I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna start calling them, you know, the the best Greek player available or something like that. But you know, as I was saying, we, with Greece, they had more chances to win that game than I think they probably deserved. When when Costa Rica went down to ten men, each and every one of them were knackered. I mean, there was one point where Joe Campbell literally couldn't jump for a ball; he was that tired. He just, he just sort of watched it go over him and just sort of deflated underneath it. Um, as much as uh, we we loathe that he's going to be like a new signing, Joel Campbell is going to be like a new signing for Arsenal. He 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 
looks like a pretty talented young lad and a lot of, a lot of the noise um coming out of their camp is that Wenger's been watching his performances intently this World Cup um and he is going to form quite a large part of that because it seems as though the work permit problems that have thus far stopped him from playing for the scum um have been resolved now so you know he he does look like a talent doesn't he yeah, he, he actually does. And as I said to, to Sam in that, the, the, the last pod, um, it's not even his goal scoring that's the most impressive thing about him. It's the fact that when he drops off and when he plays deep, he's got the vision. He's got the ability to play in passes. I mean, there was he's, the assist- he's strong as well, isn't he? He's a strong little player. Yeah, I mean, he's done well to go and play abroad while these work permit um, problems have been there. I think they were actually resolved a season or two ago. I'm, I'm fairly right in saying, but Arsenal have just not wanted to have him at the club for that amount of time, I'm not entirely sure why, but they've they've kind of kept him on the books, but loaned him out for a season or two while he's been able to play in England, and um, just sort of giving him time to become his own player abroad, which now looks highly the right decision because he, I'm not sure had he just been sat on the Arsenal bench or playing for their reserves, had he had he become half the player he is at the moment because. At Olympiacos and in Spain previously, he's been able to to play full league campaigns, and with Olympiacos, he's played in the Champions League to a decent level. So there's there's nothing against um, what he's achieved whatsoever. So as um, as unfortunate it is that his destination is going to be there, he's uh, as a Costa Rican and as a uh, as a World Cup player, he's been he's been fantastic. And the fact that he managed to step up to take that penalty when. I genuinely didn't want him to because I thought you are so tired, you are so knackered now that yeah. I don't think you've you've got the mental strength to be able to decide and be able to cope with this amount of pressure at the minute. But he, he just rolled it into the corner fantastically. So that, that's one thing to note from that game from both sides: incredible set of penalties from both teams, like just professional kind of execution. I, I know obviously one of those was saved, but it was a particularly spectacular save to deny the. Yeah. The Greeks. Kayla Navas' save was... was <laughs> He had no right to be saving that. It wasn't even no. a bad penalty. It was, it was ridiculous. It was one of those where he got... He didn't just guess the side right, but he gets the height right and the power that he just... He, he sprang at it almost immediately. I mean, it was unfortunate, having watched it back, that he was a good half a foot off his line as he dived, which shouldn't be allowed. Um, it's one of my pet hates. Keepers coming off the line. Always seems to happen, though. And you've even got the ref standing there on the line most of the time now, but they still exactly. manage to get away with it. And I don't understand how that happens consistently. I don't, I, exactly. I mean, if I was a if I was a goalkeeper, I would quite happily take the piss and be jumping off my line because I'd know that, you know, 19 out of 100 times, the goalkeeper, the, the referee, sorry, isn't going to be able to pull that back because for some reason he just sort of lets it go. Do you remember the Europa League final when that went to, to penalties? They just... The, was it Sevilla keeper just... He was pretty much two yards from the kick being taken every time he, he saved them. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was an absolute so, piss take. If I was a, a FIFA referee, that'd be something I'd be trying to encourage my colleagues to clamp down on as much as possible, especially with the amount of fucking penalty shootouts we've had this tournament. I mean, it's uh, it's just an unfair advantage, but Costa Rica scored five out of five, and you, you can't complain with that whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, if, um, if, if we're to look at the quarters... You, you have to see it going to the Dutch, really, don't you? Yeah, um, I mean, you, you, there's that there's that old phrase you can't look past them. But you know, this, the, the World Cup's not really thrown up any sort of um, giant killings or any surprises as of yet. Not 
nothing too spectacular. I mean, Costa Rica to have got as far as they have at the moment is ridiculous. It's one of the one of the standout achievements of the World Cup, and no matter who who wins it, Costa Rica will probably be one of the biggest success stories out of it given what they've achieved after after having been written off so spectacularly from from every corner of the press possible so they can be proud of themselves no matter what happens in that next game not to to sound too condescending or anything but they, they've got more than enough about them should they be fit enough to to beat the netherlands if they um they're playing the manner they have they they are a, a, a pure break side and, and play well there and the Netherlands aren't going to be the sort of team to sit back in any in any sort of manner so it's going to be end to end hopefully it's going to be have a few goals about it so it's just going to come down to um, which team plays better on the day so I'm I'm really looking forward to that and it could go either way and you know the, the odds are stacked in the favour of the Netherlands but you can't really call them to be honest, I mean, it's one of those again where, fantastically, in this World Cup, there's there's neither side that you'd want to see in the the knock in the next round more. So it's a it's a win win for the neutral either way, as I, as I keep saying. Yeah. Um. So the next set of fixtures were uh, kicked off by France and Nigeria, which seemed to be, for large parts of that fixture, a battle of two goalkeepers. Um. Probably the the two keepers of the tournament I would say so far um, in Lloris and, and Yema um, there have been some fantastic goalkeeping in this tournament I mean there's been, there's been some disgraceful goalkeeping earlier on I mean uh, former Tottenham legend Stipe Pletikosa was <laughs> was a disgrace in every single game he played in I mean Croatia could have conceded more than half of the, the goals they did if, if he was a competent goalkeeper and actually had footwork about him. He was he was an absolute disgrace. Casillas was embarrassing. Um and um The Netherlands keeper of, looks awful as well. He looks really small, doesn't he, Silison? <laughs> he just doesn't look like a keeper. He looks like somebody's work experience kid who's been shoving goal. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But he's, he's handled himself all right up until now. Um, I can fail you for, for Russia being disgraceful, but um, we've seen some performances from the likes of Achoa, um, Tim Howard last night that I'm sure we'll get, get onto, um, Kayla Navas uh, as well, and they've, they've all been fantastic. So, as you said, uh, Victor and Yemma, um, as I said on the last show, was was my goalkeeper at the group stages. He, he let himself down a lot with the, the first French goal in this one. I mean... He was trying to overcompensate for his his defence being terrible, as he often does. I mean, not terrible, but they they're organisationally they they leave a lot to be desired. Um, 
So from set plays, he he sort of gave up on allowing them to head the ball away, and Hugh and um, not Hugo Loris, uh, Gomez esque just came for everything. I mean, do you, do you remember that go that game that Gomez played at the Britannia the first season? He came mm-hmm. when he almost killed uh, Vedran Koluka. Um, he because he jumped he, he on came, him, didn't he? he? He came for every long throw and every every set play possible. It was a uh, it was a similar decision to that that, that Enyema made, and um, it just pretty much palmed the ball onto Paul Pogba's head. So it was it was it was horrible to see. He he, he just let down every every bit of good work he'd done up until then was was pretty much gone. And um, France kicked on after that and, and and did very well to just see it out and score again. Um, they again, they just they're seeming like a, a a ruthlessly efficient unit um, in this World Cup, the French. Um, and I know we we spoke about it on the last pod, but again, a real real strong candidate emerging to to take the trophy home. I think probably the least French side I've ever seen in my life in terms of the manner in which they play, the team cohesion, and just the fact that nobody seems to have fallen out with anyone yet is it's refreshing to see from their perspective I mean they have this ridiculous record in the fast few World Cups of either going out in the groups or making it to the final so it looks like one of those years where they may well be in for another final um, the aim for them as, as I think we said last time was to be to be ready for the 2016 Euros at home in, in France and um, they look like they've, they've done that with um, with a couple of years to spare one thing I will say, an honourable mention to Oliver Giroud, who, again, not just have a dig at Arsenal, but he he just isn't. He he isn't a top-class striker at all, I don't think. <clears throat> I don't rate the lad. I really don't. They made a, an, 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 a strange tactical decision to play him down the centre and push Benzema wide, purely because Nigeria tend to condense the game centrally because that's where their biggest assets are in defence. And they try and, you know, tunnel teams in towards them down the middle so they can just bat them away as much as possible so what they were trying to do with Benzema is start him out wide so they'd have much more room and then uh, give him the freedom to, to play from wherever he wanted once the ball was in the final third which didn't really work and they got so much better when, when they took off Giroud and they, they brought on Griezmann who, who gave them much more natural width much more natural um, pace in the final third and gave Benzema somebody to play off um they were just they were fantastic and um I think that's 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 the best French team going forward with, with Benzema down the centre. Um and he's he's another striker who takes a, a couple of a couple of chances before he, he actually scores. He's not he's not, you know, Falcao-esque in that he'll score as soon as he gets a chance anywhere near the box. He he does take a, a chance or two. I mean, the amount of chances he gets at Real Madrid this season, he should be posting up thirty, forty goals a year, but he never does. Um so I mean, it's it's just it's entirely dependent on on Deschamps picking the right team for the next one and them playing as well as they have because teams often have one bad game a tournament and I don't think that was France's. So they'll, they're they're going to have to have one bad performance to ride before this is out. And the later you time it, the the worse it gets. To be honest, because the the better class of opponent you're going to be playing. Well, yeah, as as we um, know now, will be Germany as they eventually managed to uh, see off a very, as has been described by Adrian Charles, plucky Algeria side. Um, that was a fantastic game to watch. 
Um, and I think if Algeria had at least a, a half decent striker, someone a bit better, they would have they would have put that Germany they would have put that Germany team to bed. I think. Um, there was a narrative after the game that sort of painted out Germany to be lucky. If you actually look at look at what Germany did, they they attacked relentlessly for the majority of that match, and Algeria only really came into it towards the end in terms of, of an attacking force. The, the game should have been out of sight a very long time ago. I think it was it's down to Germany not being able to take their chances, and and their main creative outlet on the final third or what it's supposed to be in, in Mesut Özil. Again, not to have a bash at Arsenal at all; it's, it's genuinely not. But he was he was. Absolutely terrible. He, he just nothing would go for him. Everything he tried wasn't coming off. Um, I mean, he, he puts in a shift and he tries his best, but he, he just looks like a player who, who's half the man he was at Real Madrid. He just doesn't look like he, he's able to to pick the passes he used to be able to. And Germany suffered because of it. Um, I think Mario Goetze was was sacrificed instead of Özil, and I think I would have I would have I would have changed Özil uh, rather than than Goetze, although neither of them were were fantastic. Um, and they suffered just because their their quality in the final third wasn't as good as it has done has been previously. And um, had it been, they would they would have scored three or four, and Algeria would have been blown away. But take nothing away from Algeria, who much like Costa Rica have done done absurdly well to get as far as they have. Um, they, they've just they've played fantastic football. They look so comfortable on the ball now. They're, they're more of a possession side rather than a sort of uh, tricky North Ar- North African outfit that, that you know we're used to not to be too stereotypical about the type of football they play. But they're um, they've done themselves extremely proud. I mean, the the scenes in in Algiers when they went through were amazing. I mean, unfortunately, a couple of people I think passed away because there was car crashes and things just because they, it got so wild out there. But they were um, they've they've done themselves proud and they've they've given themselves a platform. I think that's. That's one thing that these teams that have gone out in this round have done more than anything else is if they use the style of football and the, the passion and the ability that they've they've shown at this World Cup, if they use that as a platform to build upon and work towards in the future, then there's no reason that they can't repeat what they've done this tournament again in five years' time. It's just entirely about infrastructure management and it's something that if we look close to home at England, it's something we failed with probably since the last time we won the tournament. And it's something that other other countries need to be able to, to sort of get wise to. Otherwise, it's um, it's going to be unfortunate for them because they're just not going to be able to to channel the passion and uh, and talent around the game that they obviously have um, in order to to breed a successful national team. Um, can you uh, can you see the uh, the the quarterfinal Germany France actually being a, a decent affair? Because I, I I actually have a worry that it's going to be a really drab game that given that they're just the, the the proximity of them being two big European rivals, no one really wanting to lose face to one another. I don't know. I, it's maybe a slightly unfounded fear, but it's a fear nonetheless. No, I think it, you're quite right. I think it's either going to be, uh, almost like a champions league tie where it'll be end to end and played, fa- played at a fast pace. And both teams will want to be able to take the initiative. <laughs> played at a fat pace, right? Then both waddling around the pitch Crazy I said fast. I said, yeah. I, I said fast. I know, played, I at, played at a fast pace, um, but as you say, it could go the other way, where both teams are worried about losing and don't want to um, don't want to go behind, and, and could become a cagey affair. I mean, 
your your guess is as good as mine in, in terms of the quality of football that's going to be played between the two. I do think going into it that France are perhaps the um, the favourites for that, or they they should be. I mean, Germany will probably be the ones that um, the bookies will give you the odds on, and um, given their <laughs> given their record in previous tournaments and the ridiculous nature of how far they get in international tournament after international tournament, they. Um, they're probably they've probably got the pedigree to try and go through, but um, I think Deschamps has shown more as a manager than than Jurgen Löw has. Uh, I think Löw has um, he's flattered to deceive quite often, and and he's some of his tactical um, some of his tactical decisions have kind of been painted over by the fact that he's got so many good players at his disposal. I think he, he he has to make a couple of changes to that Germany side in order to get them playing fantastically. I think he's. His decision to play four centre backs across the back four, while looking solid on paper, just hasn't worked in terms of being conducive to having a, a decent attack. With you know modern fullbacks being so important, he's got one of the best in the world in Philip Lahm, who has understandably played a full season pretty much at Bayern in midfield. So he's one of those players that can play pretty much everywhere on the park. But if you, if you haven't got such a if you, if fullback isn't your most gifted position and you've got one of the best, but then you choose him to play him in field, it's an odd decision. And they looked a lot better when he went back to right back. So I, I think they'd be much better to, to start him from there and perhaps play Kadir and Schweinsteiger back there um, rather than, than playing Lahm. I think in hindsight, Gundogan is a, is a massive miss for them because he, he for Dortmund, he's, he's one of those players that um, just links the defence and the attack so, so brilliantly. He's able to carry the ball, he's able to, to play the ball and create. and uh, He's so much more direct and so much more effective than than even Schweinsteiger or Kadira might be. Definitely Kadira. I think he, he, he'd be in the side ahead of Kadira every day of the week. I think the only reason Schweinsteiger's been a bit part is because he's not been as fit as he might be. So I think they have missed a couple of, of big players, but there's, there's no reason that they should be as um, as fragmented as they have been so far. So... Um, I can see it going either way, and again, not to to repeat a stock phrase, but no matter who goes through in that tie, we're, we're going to have a decent semi out of it. Really? Not yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just realised what I've said. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be that exciting, mate. But um, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's probably the uh, the pick of the round actually in terms of fixtures, um, pick of the quarterfinals, I'd say anyway. Um, but we do have one final set of fixtures to talk about, um, which were played last night at the point of recording this. Um, the first of which was Argentina versus Switzerland. Um, again, um, I, I, I think quite similar to the, as you were saying about the, the, the reaction to Algeria against Germany was, I think there's, there's kind of this narrative that Argentina were quite lucky against Switzerland. But again, Argentina, for the majority of the game, completely dominated play, completely dominated possession, and were just on top in Switzerland's half for for most of the game. Um, Switzerland just kind of absorbed stuff, and Argentina, I think, struggled with their final ball a lot of the time. And as ever, it took Messi casually taking the ball through about three, four different players, offloading to Di Maria before he he won it for them. Um, You quite conceivably could have seen Switzerland beating Argentina on penalties, but um, they didn't. It didn't go there. Um, 
What did you make of the game, mate? I think it was like a backwards version of Germany now. Nigeria, because rather than finishing the game the best, Switzerland started it much better. Um, I think Ricardo, Ricardo Rodriguez had a fantastic game down the left, um, and they they created probably the better chances in the first half, and they probably should have taken them. In all honesty, there's one chance um, snapshot that that was saved with. Uh, Romero's legs that was a good save and then there was one where where Dermich I think got put through and he went for this he, he probably made the right decision in trying to lob the keeper because Romero tried to come and sweep and then decided not to halfway through and he was neither here nor there so he, he could have been lobbed and had he connected better and had he executed the finish better he would have been but it, it was an awful finish and just went straight into his hands and he looks out there but after that, uh, as you say, Argentina grew into the game. Messi got more. Messi got more of a, of a, you know, of a, of a foot in the game and, and had more of an influence over it. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, and they, 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 they did grow into it. And by the end of it, they, they probably deserved it more than Switzerland did. Um, I think if I could, I would sit down, Sabella, and slap him relentlessly. Um, <laughs> With you, Willie. And, and just try and get him to play a better system than what he is doing at the moment. Because we, we talked about it last time, we talked about the disconnecting between the two sections of their side. And and as Rob said, he, he wrote that, that article about them tactically and their their you know their their lack of any sort of team cohesion between defence and attack. So they need to they need to get that right, and he needs to get that right. I mean, he's he's not one of the best coaches in the tournament whatsoever. I mean, had Argentina been coached properly, then they would have been such a better better team than they are being now. I mean, they've got half it Fernando Gago, who's who's having to play, and he's he's been asked to be more defensive than perhaps he could be passing the ball out. They've got Mascherano, who does a lot of nothing really. He he the ball back a lot, but his recycling of possession isn't the most effective. Um, going forward, Lovetsi was wasn't very good in his role, um, deputising for Aguero. Um, Aguero they, need, they need him back, don't they? Well, Aguero wasn't setting the world alight when he was playing. In all fairness, he, he looked very congested, and he was he was trying to do a lot of coming inside and blocking off space that you know that Messi could be operating in. And that that team is essentially built to create space for Messi which when you've got a player that good you can't really argue against in all honesty if you're going to give him space just give him it but some of the forward players just aren't just aren't doing their jobs they they could be doing I mean Higuain again he had a couple of chances yesterday that he didn't put away that he may have done previously and he's he's a he's a he's probably had a below par tournament Di Maria had good games beforehand but he's his performance in that last game before he scored was was astoundingly bad. <laughs> he, just, he just had no end product. Every he was, time he got he was the ball, awful, he, wasn't he? Every time he got the ball, he seemed to lose it. So the, he needs to adjust the tactics. Stop trying to play with a, a back five and stop playing too many defensive midfielders. And he needs to try and give that team an impetus and try and give Messi more of an outlet around him than he has done previously. Because there is going to come a point where they're going to play a team who are who are clever enough to mark Messi out of the game and take take advantage of how bad their defence is. I, I can't remember and, exactly um, what the stat is, but with Di Maria, I think he gave away possession something ludicrous. like 51 times, that's I think. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say 50-odd times. Like That's absolutely ridiculous, especially for a player of his ability as well. 
I mean, he's come off one of the, the probably the best seasons of his career at Real Madrid, where he's been fantastic, and that performance is just nothing like the player we've seen. I mean, the finish was the finish was fantastic. He took it well, but you, you just couldn't see it coming from him up until the time he hit it. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they how they adjust because I mean, if there's so many people quite clearly telling Sabella that something is wrong and something isn't working, if he doesn't change it now, then he, he probably deserves to go out and he probably deserves to, to lose that job because he, he's just shown nothing in the way of being good enough to be able to manage a, a team of players that well because he's he's actually taken away and, and reducing from their ability with with poor systems, which mm. is a shame to see. What, one attitude that I do find, I, I do understand, but at the same time I find just spurious and weird, is uh, this idea that, Argentina are just relying on Messi to do something really great. Well, no fucking shit, you know? Like, he's one of the best, if not the best player in the world. Of course you want your best players to do something special. Like, I don't understand why that's being used as a stick to beat them with constantly. And I saw, I saw like, Robbie Savage had the, just the gall to say that, aside from Messi, Argentina had a distinctly average squad. You just think... I. I are you fucking for real, Robbie Savage? Are you, are you, like, have you have you watched back any footage of yourself when you played football at all? Like, you know, what are you want about? And I don't, I'm I'm I'm, re- I'm genuinely finding across the board, and I've been quite surprised with the BBC as well. Across the board, just how poor the punditry has been um, from the terrestrial channels. I mean, you, it's par for the course of ITV. But the BBC as well have been—they've been on an ITV level, mate. I would say the way they've been kind of talking about this World Cup. You got Lawrence in there who couldn't be any <laughs> less interested in the football or in the World Cup or just in life in general. It would seem like he just sounds so miserable and so unenthused. You think, mate, you're at the fucking World Cup. You're in Rio. You're paid to talk about football, like. I I don't know if you saw. I tweeted it out yesterday. Like he was providing these little match updates in in the ticker, um, and I I I hadn't sat down for the first bit of the game, so I was relying on these to kind of get me through the first kind of ten minutes until I was in front of a television. And literally, one of one of um, Loro's updates was fifteen minutes have gone and nothing's really happened yet. He should fucking hell, mate! Like surely. Surely he could elaborate a bit more than that, but apparently not. Um, one other thing I did want to say about Argentina is just to yeah, I was go going to yeah, defend go defend the pundits. There, no. There's been a couple of decent ones. Uh, I think Danny Murphy's done well. I think yes. he's he's one they should be keeping. Uh, his co commentary is actually quite good. He ventured into uh, laughing at foreign people's names for thirty seconds in one of the games, which you know was slightly distasteful and took away from the fact that his his actual knowledge of the game is quite good. Um, the BBC commentator that isn't Jonathan Pierce, I can't remember his name off the top of my head now, but the one who did the game with Danny Murphy last night, he's very good as well. Um, he, he's, he, he actually knows the game and isn't confused by goal line technology in the manner that Jonathan Pierce is, who is a glorified robot wars commentator. He used to be all right, Jonathan Pierce, which is quite annoying because he is, he's woeful. He's now. not, he's a, he's a really odd man, I find. Um, <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a Crystal Palace fan. He's, he's, Every time you have a, he has a strange thing against Manchester United, and every time 
any sort of mention of Eric Cantona happens, he always um, he always has some sort of snide remark to make because because he's a Palace fan, he always holds it against uh, always holds it against Cantona or Man United what he did to that fan there, even though the man that he kicked was a, a horrible human being who was throwing racial slurs at him and I couldn't be any more supportive of Eric Cantona kicking them again if he ever got the chance to. Um, but it was it was such a, a shame that he, he's one of their anchors because uh, he's terrible. I think one of the one of my favourites and probably actually my favourite commentary of this, this tournament has been the game between Japan and Cote uh, d'Ivoire at two in the morning between uh, on ITV. It was Gary Bloom who was doing it. Um, he's got 200 followers on Twitter. He, he was outstanding. You know how commentators kind of talk down to you and it's sort of condescending the manner in which they talk about the game and they try and dumb it down yeah. and they give it to you at uh, almost spoon-feeding a, a childlike level. It's almost as if like CBBC are commentating for you, the sort of the way they boil it down. It's um he he did the complete opposite. He he treated you like an adult. He knew that clearly the people in the UK that were going to be listening to him were the people that knew about football. He pronounced each and every one of their players' names perfectly. He pronounced the country names perfectly. He never called them the Ivory Coast once, given that they have asked much like Holland to be called their proper name and not some sort of retrofit name that's easier for us to say. I mean, I can't pronounce it properly, but. Every time, since reading about the fact that they don't want to be called Ivory Coast, I've, I've made a concerted effort not to call them it, because it, if that's not their name, stop calling them it. It's. I think it's. I think it's actually illegal to refer to the Ivory Coast as the Ivory Coast when you're well when you're in the Cote d'Ivoire. Um, you, Is that how you say it, Cote d'Ivoire? Yeah, the Cote d'Ivoire. Um, you, you, well, he was. He yeah. was saying it perfectly every time. So, I mean, if if it's illegal, then he's clearly taken that on board. He knew, he obviously had detailed facts written up about the players. He had no co-commentator to bounce off. And he did amazingly well. I mean, the BBC as well have Phil Vickery at their disposal, who, to my count, has only made it into the studio once, which is a travesty. He's usually given 30 seconds after a game when everybody's gone to bed to talk on a on a shite microphone Probably the most sense that's been talking, talking. I'm, I'm, I'm having a go at commentators and can't even fucking speak properly myself. He speaks the most sense that anybody does. He has the most in-depth knowledge about the South American game out of anybody else at their disposal, and they've not used him anywhere near enough. I mean, put him in the co-commentary box when Danny Murphy's not there. When there's two South American teams playing, put him in the studio for every single game because he'll be able to give you a backup and and a, a knowledge surrounding not only the areas that they'll be playing in, but the sort of temperatures and the the, the national feeling around it. He's he's been there since like 1990 or something like that. He's pretty much as Brazilian as he is English now. And um, I'm not just supporting him because he's a Tottenham fan. I think he's a genuinely <laughs> good genuinely good pundit. Um, but these sort of people are marginalised in favour of, as you say, Robbie Savage, who doesn't know his ass from his elbow. And you've got he's a child. I hate him. You've got Childs talking pidgin English to um, Fabio Cannavaro because Fabio Cannavaro quite clearly can't speak English to to a decent level. So the reason they've hired him is purely on his name rather than his punditry skills. I think Cannavaro actually knows what he's talking about. He just can't can't express it in a, in a language that's clearly new to him, which isn't his fault. He just shouldn't have been hired. I mean, if, he, if he'd been on Sky Italia or something like that and been able to speak freely on his own, he'd, he'd probably be one of the most insightful people there. But 
I, I do agree. It's it, on on a broad scale. It's probably been quite bad, but there have been one or two shining lights that if they were um, if they were to to take a gamble on and, and make them more mainstream, and if ITV were to to make Gary Bloom their their lead commentator over Clive Tildesley, who today released one of the most ridiculous articles I've ever seen in my life, defending the reason that he calls James Rodriguez James Rodriguez purely because he says if we were to pronounce every foreign thing foreign then nobody would know what I'm talking about it's, it's oh, essentially he didn't, did he? the point he was making yeah it, I mean it's written quite eloquently and there is a, a slight point to what he's saying because he, he, he oh, said he's that, written it on the mail website that's enough for me I've just seen it now but he, he there was um he said that we we're not going to call Bella Horizonte Bella Horizont because people won't know what I'm talking about. Well, we, we clearly do. Stop seeing us like idiots. Just actually call these things what they are. I mean, yeah, it, it does upset me to a level. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who is because I have a name, <laughs> two names that are often spelt wrongly. Um, my surname, especially people, obviously stick an inexplicable e in there. It's one of my pet hates. I'm I'm quite strong about spelling people names correctly. So whenever I write an article, I'll always try and put the correct an- accents on people's names and, and things like that. I'll always I'll always make the effort of doing it because with the technology uh, I, I grasp now, it's it's as easy as typing out a normal letter. So there's no 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 excuse not to although some people some people view it poncy when you put a an accent on el Clasico or something like that. i just see it as ignorant if you don't because fair enough we're, we're speaking english to other english speakers but if you're talking about something that is is spanish or is in a different language or is french and it has an accent there and that is the manner in which it is spelled then spell it like they wish because it's just it's ignorant to go about it in any other way as far as i'm concerned it's just uh it hardly broadens your horizons, but uh, I think we've we've gone on about that long enough. I think we've got one game left. We do have one game left, and that's your uh, your good mates, the United States of America, um, bowing out to Belgium um, in a well, in, as as much as the 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 narrative that's been concocted around the match um, may have you believe, not the biggest surprise really. Um, I mean, it it was a valiant effort from from the from the states. They they did play very well, and it was probably the most entertaining game, or one of the most entertaining games of the of the tournament thus far. Um, were you uh, were you were you surprised by how well sort of the states took it to Belgium, mate? No, actually, um, in terms of being the, the football inside of it, they've actually handled most of the games fairly well. Um, I was disappointed with with how they they lost concentration towards the end of the Portugal game. They they should have seen that one out. Um, I think had they seen that one out, they would have given themselves a, a bigger game against Germany because they would have given the, given themselves a chance to win that game. I think Germany were quite comfortable in, 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 in that game in the end anyway. Um, they it was it was similar to the to to the Germany game against Nigeria in that Belgium should have had the game put to bed a long time ago, if it wasn't for Tim Howard, who had one of the, the best individual games at the World Cup so far, he was he was outstanding. I think he made a, a record amount of saves um, compared to to anybody else. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in the World Cup ever or or just this World Cup, but it's it's up there. Um, he made some great saves, but uh, I don't think there was any stage in which Bel- Belgium were were actually threatened by the United States until the very end, in the last sort of 15-20 minutes, when they scored that. It's got that odd, odd volley 
goal where it looked very good, but when you actually watch it, it was, it was slightly scuffed, which is very harsh because it's a very hard thing to do. Um, it, was, it was a really good ball over the top and they did well to get back into it. And to be honest, after that point, Belgium kind of went into their shell a little bit more. Um, they had a couple of breakouts, but the, the, in defensively they were in a shell, they were in a bit of a muddle. And they um, they had chances to win it. I mean, there was... Um, was it is it Wondolowski who who thought he was offside or didn't know where he was and skied a chance that was pretty much begging to be put away and uh, he was actually Jürgen miles Klim- onside as well. Which he, is- I know he, he was onside, but the the there's there's some sort of de- uh, discrepancy regarding whether or not the the flag went up from the linesman to oh, really? signal a goal kick or or the flag went up from the the linesman to signal offside. Because I think the TV actually called it as offside, but I think some of the people inside the ground, the, the journalists that were there, have, have seen it differently and said that he was he was flagging for a goal kick and it was just really quick to flag for a goal kick because the the shot was so terrible going high and wide that you know he just stuck his flag up straight away before it went over the line. Yeah, this one will probably amuse you as well, mate. Um, we we managed to watch the end of this game. I went to see Monty Python at the O2 last night. Um, so we caught the caught the rest of the the end of the game in a bar there. Um, quite a few American people there, um, and there was one guy as as that whatever his name is Wondolski, isn't it? Who who missed Wondolski? Yeah, who missed that um, the shot at the end? A, 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 a chap from the crowd, <laughs> an American guy shouting, "My gosh, how do you miss a goal shot like that?" Like actually shouted that, which probably didn't do a lot for uh, for the for the neutrals. I think. A lot of Americans don't know about. But they um they had the <laughs> they had other chances as well. Um, Dempsey had a had a one on one that had he probably been more alert and fitter, he might have been able to to lift it over the top of the goalkeeper, but just hit it straight at him in the end. But um, Julian Green's finish, absolutely fantastic. I said that didn't I? I said that it was an an odd volley. An odd volley, but I liked it though. Yeah, as I say, it was a difficult skill. He did really well to get it in. Um, he's very young, isn't he, Julian Green, at uh, Bayern yeah, Munich? Yeah, yeah, I think well, another one that we've been linked to as well. So, uh, Any player that scores in the World Cup will never to be linked to Tottenham yeah. within hours of um, having played well. Um, I think just to, not to go on a tangent, but just to justify what I said last time about the American support... Um, the part I was making wasn't against any sort of American football fans who actually know what they're talking about. Because there are a few of them um, who actually, you know, the ones that sort of set up their own supporters clubs and whatnot and watch the games at ridiculous times over there and are quite committed. I have no problem with them whatsoever. They're, they're much the same as us. They've probably got more of a, an understanding of the game than most British armfair fans have got, in all honesty. It's the ones that have jumped on the bandwagon and sort of made a stereotypical... Uh, sort of uh, enthusiastic, uh, patriotic look towards the game that has, hasn't hasn't sit right with me. You know the, the amount of coverage they've got over here. Did you see the the BBC ran a strange, you know, trail where they played, you know, born in the USA over it, and it was just so seems so overbearing and it seems so unfortunate for the actual US football fans that support it in such a such a dedicated manner that <laughs> the fact that they've been derailed somewhat. By the fact that they've got these new uh, soccer bros, are they calling themselves? Yeah. In the stands that are doing these, it's quite. 
I, I look at it as quite quite an odd way of supporting. That's that's why I've disliked them. That's why I actively supported Belgium yesterday because they, they annoyed me to a certain extent. Um, well, it's just but, the thing is, I think as well, just to, just to make it because I think people maybe from the sort of responses you're getting on Twitter don't get the fact that you are equally as scathing of British chest beating jingoism, and that's essentially what a lot of this is. A lot of this is. People that don't have an interest in the sport that just want to say, my country is the greatest country in the world. So we're just jumping onto something just to just to essentially legitimize their own ignorance and jingoism. And that 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 I think that's what I have umbrage with um, with a lot of people doing this, especially. And I, I think the States is quite a unique case in that they are a country that are so outspoken about the fact they don't like football for you know for large parts of it that they don't they don't even show an indifference to it they show an actual kind of dislike and distaste towards the sport um yet are fully embracing it when it kind of suits and when it gives them this chance to just legitimize these ridiculous beliefs that somehow because they were born on a certain patch of land that they're better than someone that wasn't born there um and I, I don't know, I think that that's kind of what I personally have an issue with, with this kind of soccer bro mentality. But that, as you have quite rightly said there, though, Raj, at the same time, there are, you know, it's it's again, it's it's just as ridiculous for a British person to say, oh, Americans can't follow football because that's that's wrong. You know, there's there's plenty of Americans that listen to this who I talk to, who I'm good friends with in the workplace, who I, I talk to on Twitter and here and there who... Again, as you say, know much more about football than your average kind of British fan. Um, so I mean, it's it's not a kind of Americans shouldn't do football. It's not about that. It's about the kind of some of the people that are now proclaim or professing to have this interest in the sport when they probably don't at all. Well, when they definitely don't at all. And it's not a it's not a one way thing either. I think um, I think the point that some people are missing as well is that. Um, it happens to to people in most sports because I was speaking to somebody who runs a uh, um, like a UK NFL type of website. Who you know their their whole spin on it is that they're British people watching the game at, at ridiculous times over here when they come on, much the same as American fans do watch football over there. So they watch, they're watching American fan, uh, American football and covering it in their own British way over here. And they, they they tell stories of how condescending responses they get for their opinions from American fans who who don't take their input input properly. And all I want all I wanted to say was that while while I still dislike the the US and I'm not going to apologise for wanting to the bell the you know the Belgians to win, I wasn't in in any stretch of the imagination having any sort of having to go at the 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 football fans that support it you know in a proper sense you know every day of the year and, and actually look out for what's going on and understand it. It's just the uh, the new breed of fans, as you rightly point out, that are, are doing it for ulterior motives. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the main thing to remember is that in every culture, in every country, there's always going to be cunts. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's unavoidable. Um, but Given yeah. that America's bigger than us as well, they're going to have more of them. Yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, well, it was it was a shame shame to see a, 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 a you know a side that you know is is giving it a go bow out. But at the same time, you know, in the interest of wanting the the most elite competition, not a dig again. You got to be happy that Belgium have gone through. They're the stronger team. 
Um, if all the um, if all the teams that have gone out in the last sixteen want to put together their own version of the quarterfinals against each other, I'll quite happily watch that because they've all they've all added to this tournament in their own way fantastically well. Oh, that'd be it's quite not good, of, wouldn't it? Like a split uh, in the in the World Cup continuum, <laughs> like Stephen Hawking. Yeah. If Stephen Hawking's did football, you know it's. There's not there's not one of those sides that have gone out in this last sixteen that I've been happy to see go out and in in a footballing sense and they're all teams that I'll happily watch again. Um so that I mean, it's just you get quite attached to some sides during the group stages, don't you? I mean like the Mexicans, you kind of you want them to win, you you get behind them and, and the, like the Chileans then one or two teams drop out of the group stages and then Everyone starts dropping like flies after that, and you suddenly start realizing this tournament isn't going to go on forever, and uh, it's going to it's going to be boiled down to to one game in Rio between two teams at some point. I think there's only eight games left now, which is slightly breaking my heart as I say it. And and you know it's it's been a fantastic tournament, and I can't as much as I can't wait to see the rest of the football that's that's going to be played and some of the games that are left to to be contested. I, I kind of don't want it to, to end either. I kind of want it to start all over again once it's finished. Oh, I love it. Um, I, just one thing to talk about quickly is the uh, the quarterfinal, Argentina against Belgium, which is a, is a tantalising prospect because they're, they're two much-lauded teams, two very attacking sides that probably haven't kicked into full gear. Um, so if they both manage to, to hit their hit their pace in this quarter, it, it could be a brilliant game we've got in store. Yeah, I think um, I think Belgium have got to look at where Switzerland went wrong because defensively and attacking that they're similar sort of prospects. I think they need to learn from Switzerland's mistakes in that last one and defend as well as they did and mark the attacking players and, and marginalise them as well as they did. But they need to be able to take their chances as well. So if Eden Hazard needs to have a much better game than he's had done previously, Kevin De Bruyne needs to be able to, to start finishing more and playing well in the final third. I mean, a ridiculous stat with him yesterday was that he, he set up one of the most shots in a World Cup ever. But he, he, he seemed to have a very quiet game because he was just, he was happy to lay off the shots and he was happy to, to just create, but he wasn't really giving them any sort of further impact in the final third I mean that sounds slightly harsh given the statistic I've just said but you know to win World Cups you need to you need to take the game by the scruff of the neck a little bit more and a couple of the Belgium's better players just haven't done that as yet and uh, either one of Origi or Lukaku whoever starts they need to take every single chance they're given they need to start putting in the back of the net and the, I think the thing that counts against Belgium in this game is the fact that they've been scoring so late on in games the pattern of their games has been that the front three, including one of the strikers, has battered the defence and, and tired them out for such a long period of time. And then they've swapped them for fresh legs. And the fresh legs has been able to take advantage of, of you know, the tired defence. So I don't think that they're going to be able to keep a clean sheet against Argentina. I do think they're going to have to score two or three times to be able to go through. And I think they've got it well within them, given that Argentinian defence as well. So it's it's entirely down to whoever takes the impetus in that one. Um, as I say, if Sabella manages to change his tactics and and approach the game differently and better than he has done previously, then they could run away with it too. So I think that's one of the most intriguing tactical encounters of the uh, the final. Is it final four? Yeah, final four games. Yep. Of the the, the quarterfinals. So um, I'm 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 looking forward to each 
individually. But that one, I think, from a, a tactical output, is probably one of the most intriguing, um, as well as Germany and France. So, you know, it's, again, um, I think I've said it for every single one of them now, but it not matter who goes through, we're, we're not going to be sad to see um, either one of them play again, I don't think. No, so I cannot pig in weight. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that thus concludes our look at the, the second round um, and the look ahead to the quarterfinals. I guess we'll, we'll probably find time to do, a, to do a little piece in between the quarters and the semis, won't we, won't we Bainesy? I've, I've quite enjoyed this little one-on-one dialogue we've had going on this afternoon, actually. Well, we've never done it before, have we? I think we kind of text each other and, like, organising it and sort of said, get anyone on and... I think it was just the fact that we've never been able to just have a chat between the two of us before and the fact that this isn't a, a regular showing that we've got to speak to an opposition fan or anything like that. We've kind of taken the advantage to just kind of essentially broadcast a chat would have otherwise had through text. <laughs> yeah, with lots of kisses and stuff and also intermittent bitching about certain Photoshop celebrities on, on Twitter That's as well. That's our favourite pastime. Jesus Christ, there's been some, there's been some absolute classically shit efforts this World Cup I tell you but um, yeah let's not let's not start naming names and having a flame war you know can't be asked for all that um, <laughs> I'm so tempted but I'm not going to um, yeah alright then well thanks for listening everyone and uh, we um, if you want to are you going to do all the followers here and do us there and I that don't know can be asked should we do that do you reckon yeah, yeah, can do. We didn't do it last time, so we may as well in, we in case people have forgotten. One, one thing I would say very quickly: um, check out Raj's article on Luis Suarez on the Sabotage Times this week. Um, it's a very good read. Again, he doesn't like to talk himself up too much, but when he's not on here being a gobshite, he is. He is quite a talented writer, is our is our Baines. So uh, have a have a have a little read of his his Suarez article. It's it's very, very good. Gotten, I'd written that. Yeah, well, it's really good, and and as well, um, read the comments. Oh, fuck me, the comments. What the the the, the prize comment on that is? Uh, if you actually get your facts right, Suarez wasn't racist eleven times. He was only racist once. Oh, great, nice one. <laughs> you know that because that makes it a lot better. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, you can you can listen to obviously all of the previous episodes of Rule the Roost and last week's Rule. World Cup roost on iTunes and on the Buzzsprout website, um, and also on what's the other thing we got going? SoundCloud, isn't it? We got now. Yeah, we can't put the last one on SoundCloud because it was too big. Uh, oh, that's that's it. what she said. Hey. But um, I think because it was over two hours, it was it was too big a file or length or whatever to put in. <laughs> Not to you know speaking innuendo again, but. Um, I think this one because it's a bit shorter. <laughs> will, it'll will fit. It's a bit more of a chub. This one. <laughs> it's a chord. It'll fit. Um, Just but yeah, the the only as I, as I plugged earlier as well, like that, that article I wrote about the um, the Tottenham summer window. Uh, have a have a read of that as well because um, it took fucking ages to write. Um, yeah, have a have a. I haven't even read that yet, so I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I can. Um, yeah, and so listen to all the shit there. Go to SpursStatman.com and follow us at RTRSSM. Um, and if you are American, please do troll Baines at, <laughs> <laughs> at BainesXIII. Um, thanks for listening, guys, as ever, and we'll see you in a few days. Bye-bye. Yeah.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.